Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning and welcome to the 100th edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. It's a pleasure to have you on this auspicious day. Um, we're broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in the heart of Silicon Beach in Santa Monica, California. Um, please be seated. We have a full um, docket for you today. And we're going to start off with a, a very lively debate, um, uh, the thriller on Capilla, you might say, between um, Rebecca Madigan, who's been a great friend of the show uh, with the Performance Marketing Association. She's going to be speaking um, debating Steve Del Bianco from NetChoice, who's also a repeat guest. And they're going to be t- debating the subject of the recently passed um, Marketplace Fairness Act. It was passed by the Senate and now moves to the House. And um, they're going to have quite a few words about well, the merits of that and whether it should move any further. Um, in the second half, we're going to have another repeat guest. Um, Kenneth White, um, the founder of Pope Hat, has another colorful story for us to just share. And this one involves really a, a disturbing tale of, um, of some misconduct by a copyright troll. And it's so bad that the a court, uh, a federal court here in Los Angeles, a judge actually referred the lawyers for criminal prosecution. So it's, a, it's quite a tale, and we'll have that in the second half hour. Um, just a quick shout out today is um, today is Peace Officers Memorial Day, and this is all part of Police Week, and this is the the day we commemorate those who um, gave their lives in the line of duty as part in protecting and serving, and um, we we thank and um, remember their service. So, um, but without further ado, we're going to move jump right into this pre recorded debate. Um, between um, Muhammad Ali um, and Joe Frazier's um, cyber equivalent and Rebecca Madigan and Steve Del Bianco. All right, so we have today, very fortunate to have two returning guests. Um, both have been great on um, shows before. And um, the first is our, our, our Rebecca Madigan, who's been on many of our shows talking about the issues of, of the affiliate tax, the next, and the Amazon tax, and what impact that has had on the affiliates um, nationwide. And we also have um, Steve Del Bianco, and he's from the Net Choice Coalition. And um, Steve also has been uh, outspoken on you know bad state laws that unfairly impinge and hurt and harm e-commerce, and so he's been very active. Um, he's we last spoke to him about the um, 
we were at the FTC workshop on social media disclosures. And so, but um, we actually, Steve and um, Rebecca have um, been paired together many times and usually are on the same side of the issue. But we're talking now about the Marketplace Fairness Act, which just passed the Senate and has moved to the House. And Steve and Rebecca are actually on opposite sides of the, the, the law and the proposed bill. And um, basically, the Marketplace Fairness Act is, is kind of a federal remedy to the Amazon tax question. It's trying to possibly resolve that in Washington rather than keep um, slogging it out state by state. Um, so, um, Rebecca, since you, you've been on the show more, you get to go the, the first <laughs> the first shot, um, so to speak. What, why, why is the Marketplace Fairness Act a good thing? Well, we, we take this very personally. Um, I represent, my organization is called the Performance Marketing Association, and I represent online companies that make their money from running ads on their websites. So we have a lot of you know, bloggers and online newspapers and shopping comparison sites who, just like a newspaper or television station make, or a radio station, make all their money from uh, the ads that they run. Now, what happened starting in 2008 was New York passed the first affiliate nexus tax or Amazon tax law, and it basically changed the definition of physical presence. Previously, a state could only compel a retailer to collect its sales tax on its behalf if that retailer had physical presence or nexus in the state. And that's always meant a, a store or a warehouse or a sales force. And New York started this trend that said, you know what, if you're running ads on websites based in the state, we're going to call that nexus and you're going to have to start collecting sales tax. And the result was out-of-state retailers, by and large, did not collect sales tax. Their response was, we will just stop advertising on websites in located in your state. So over here we are four years later. Um, nine states have enacted these kinds of laws. 76,000 online businesses have been wiped out as a result. Kansas uh, just passed. That will go into effect in July. So that's another 2,500 businesses. And we think Minnesota will pass very soon, and that's another 4,500 businesses. So now we're over well over 80,000 small businesses that have been wiped out. The Marketplace Fairness Act gets rid of that excess requirement. It levels the playing field for all retailers. You must all collect sales tax for all states. That way, for our industry, this allows these online retailers to reinstate their advertising agreements with all these 80,000-some businesses around the country. And, and and just to highlight what how effective those uh, state amortized laws were, um, in terms of if you took the total revenue collected by um, states such as Kansas and Rhode Island, um, would it be pay for a single venti uh, mocha at Starbucks? <laughs> That's right, exactly. Let me let me uh, take my shoes off so I can use my fingers and my toes. The states <laughs> have collected virtually zero, and what they've in sales tax revenue, and what they've ended up doing is losing the income tax revenue from these seventy six thousand businesses so far. And what we've seen in response these these uh, small businesses they've they've uh, behaved in. Th- 
kind of three different ways. They either move out of state, so they take all their income tax revenue with them. They downsize uh, or lay off employees, so that's a reduction, or they completely go out of business. It's about a third each that, that we've seen this happen. So um, the, only, the only winners, I guess, are the neighboring states that get these small businesses to move, move uh, across borders. Okay, now we move to the challenger. We're in red trunks. Um, Steve, it's great to have you back. Um, now, I imagine you and Rebecca are in, are in agreement that the Amazon tax state laws are, are problematic. That, that's right, Bennett. I joined uh, Rebecca at countless state legislative hearings and legislative conferences, and every every uh, six months I feature these Amazon laws as on my I-awful list, a list of the worst ten Internet laws in America. So, Which, by the I way, agree. If you it was, a, it was seen, a if you have uh, new one comes out great. tomorrow, Bennett. New great. one comes out tomorrow. Yeah, great. And and, I, and uh, Rebecca, you'll be glad to know that at the top of the list is well, the Marketplace Fairness Act. Because <laughs> frankly, because frankly, I you know, I couldn't agree more that these state what they call Amazon tax laws were specifically designed to target big companies like Amazon and Overstock right. who did who did lots of this linked advertising. And uh, as Rebecca indicated, we testified in every state that this was a this was a dumb move. This is an all pain, no gain solution. You'll get new new tax revenue. You'll even lose some, and businesses may leave. And uh, the truth is that this bill has been motivated by enemies of Amazon and Overstock, namely the giant retailers, the big box retailers like Walmart, Target, and Best Buy, were very frustrated that their large online competitors didn't collect sales tax in every state. And their answer was to create such a nuisance, to start brush fires all over the country that would drive folks like Amazon to say, enough, we'll, we're willing to support anything in Congress if it'll make these Amazon tax laws go away. But I'll tell you that uh, there's been another overlay on that, is that Amazon keeps opening new physical presence distribution centers right. in more and more states, and they do it because it makes business sense. I mean, I get same-day delivery where I live here in Virginia, and Amazon wow. starts to collect sales tax here in Virginia in September. In fact, Amazon, without any new laws at all, Amazon will be collecting for over half of the U.S. population this year. And even the states that Rebecca's been fighting brush fires in have completely been taken off the map. California, for instance, New York, yes. Virginia, Kansas, Texas, Washington, South Carolina, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, all of these states are places where Amazon already collects. So Amazon has no fear of keeping their affiliate advertising alive in those states because they already collect there. Now, it's so ironically, I think it's worked. I think the, leg the, uh, the legislative strategy of the big box stores has worked. Um, the trick is that you guys are in Southern California. Aren't there some brush fires going on out there right now? <laughs> there have been, yes. Yeah, well, this Marketplace Fairness Act is like, well... It's like using a nuclear explosion to put out the brush fires. It's going okay. to devastate far more than it, than it saves, and we're going to be dealing with the fallout for years. Um, so uh, uh, score one on metaphors. <laughs> the, one question I have, though, is um, the, the law clearly states that it does not um, affect nexus. And yet you hear a lot of people say that then this will allow um, – everyone will have to collect now. I mean, is the, 
is the, isn't the nexus argument? I think you're um, misinterpreting. Battles? I think you're misinterpreting that. They're they're just suggesting that if they pass the bill Rebecca likes, that state tax auditors will have instant ability to reach across state borders and audit right. and tax every single business in America. So it allows them to do that. But what the bill says about nexus, Bennett, is that this new tax power of state auditors won't allow them to impose, say, state income tax on all I those see. businesses or, or gross receipts tax or franchise tax or property tax. All they'll be able to do is force every business in America to collect, file, and remit and be subject to audits on their sales tax for a thousand jurisdictions. That's the, I mean, nuclear, that's the nuclear bomb, by the way. Stay tuned. We'll be right back at the second half of the Marketplace Fairness Act debate in two minutes. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. Have you tried to do CPA conversions using social PPC and failed? You're not alone. These days, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube require true specialists to dominate. Aim clear. Brings definitive psychographic targeting, bleeding edge creative, and killer content amplification to the social advertising table. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. My name is Jim Gray, and I am a judge of the Superior Court in California. Did you know that since the federal government first banned marijuana in 1937, that usage in this country has gone up by about 4,000%? Or that an American is arrested on marijuana charges every 38 seconds? If you are wondering if any of this makes sense, you are not alone. To find out more, contact the Marijuana Policy Project at 1-877-JOIN-MPP or visit them on the web at mpp.org. Welcome to the WordPress Community Podcast. The essential source for news and information on the most popular blog publishing tool on earth. The WordPress Community Podcast, on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back with our debate between Rebecca Madigan of the PMA and Steve Del Bianco of the Net Choice Coalition, round two. The the the, the legal issue that that I, I'm struggling with is that the all this stems from a Supreme Court decision known as um, Quill versus North Dakota, and um, which was passed, um, you know, which was a. a you know, um, came out um, the '90s, and and principally so that we would have some reason to mention the state of North Dakota um, over the next 20 years. But um, <laughs> the um, one thing, Quill was a two-part test, 
And and the first part of the test is you know um, commerce clause, and Congress has the right to regulate you know interstate commerce, and so I can understand how con- you know Congress can address the first part of Quill, but the second part of Quill is a due process clause, and um, and so although Congress does have um, power under the Fourteenth Amendment, I'm I'm not sure that the nexus um, t- test entirely goes away. The you mean the due process test? Yes. Well, you know, we'll have to wait and see, but that won't stop Congress from passing a stupid law. Uh, if, if something in the courts gets worked out later on, maybe so. The arguments I've heard are that uh, if I'm a small business and I make a specialty item, maybe I make right. a specialty item to put on brush fires, something a little less than a <laughs> nuclear bomb, I, I want to reach customers all over the country with that. So I'll put up a website, I might even do a catalog, but I don't send sales reps into... North Dakota, Massachusetts. No. I don't send people out to sell for me. I don't mail brochures. I simply put up a website and count on, well, search engines and maybe some link advertising to drive traffic. And if I've done that, have I satisfied the due process that Quill uh, Catalog Company held? Maybe not. But that's so, a question that Supreme Court and others will have to worry about uh, in the years after something like this would make it through Congress. But it's got a long way to go. So Rebecca, As Rebecca you, knows, it was. Go ahead. What do you say to to Steve in terms of you know? Does is this an unfair burden on on small businesses? Well, I, I actually I, I think it's way overblown, and 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 there are three reasons I I think this, and I'll I'll, I'll make them quick. First of all, um, a technology today uh, we live in the world of big data and and quants and technology and software that make things very easy to calculate. But really, this isn't even rocket science when you think about you know there's there are claims that there are ten thousand thousand different sales tax jurisdictions in the country and and part of that is all the geographic locations so the states counties and municipalities that can potentially charge their own additive sales tax and then you've got all these tax bases all these categories of items that get taxed at different rates and and they're different for every state uh, and and potentially every every taxing jurisdiction can calculate what that rate is the reality is though and and oh by the way that's you know that's, if you think about it, it's it's not even an algorithmic kind of calculation. I mean, it, you can probably do a big giant spreadsheet with all your street addresses on the on the left column, and then all of your you know on the on the on the top you have all your different kinds of product categories that may have different rates. It's not even any sort of fancy calculation. It's just a big giant spreadsheet, which is not much data. Um, but but th- that's that's just that's just one element. Uh, the the size of that is is way overblown because most online retailers are um, not selling multiple categories. They sell one maybe two categories of items. It's really just the um, big giant sort of mercantile retailers like the WalMarts, like the Amazons, like the Ebays that sell multiple categories. So. That giant list is now collapsed for for most retail online retailers to a, a, a manageable list. But my third point is that there is this great solution out there. That um, there are, there are many solutions, but there's one out there that I think is far superior to, to anything else, and potentially doesn't require the online merchant to make any changes at all to their website. And that's PayPal, and that's owned by eBay. And eBay is opposing this, and I and I really struggled with why eBay has put up such opposition to this because they have this fantastic merchant solution that's 
they're trying to make a universal uh, standard and they already understand and calculate sales tax rates all over the country um, with a flip of a switch they could provide this tremendous service to retailers I think they're simply opposing it because they want to preserve the unfair advantage for pricing advantage for all their online retailers it's the only thing I can I can think of all right. Well, that uh, Rebecca's counter, uh, although she failed to evoke any um, nuclear weapons or imagery of fires, but um, <laughs> Steve, um, there there is an exemption for small businesses of up to one million, and do you, do you think that is sufficient to protect small businesses under the Act? A million dollars in gross retail is really a one or two person company at most, because the gross margins which is the difference between my selling price and cost of sales, is somewhere between 20 and 30% for these small merchants. At that point, uh, that would say on a million dollars of gross sale, they might have two hundred to 300000 to start with. And they, they have to pay all their expenses with that. Facilities, marketing, advertising, website, accounting, legal, travel, communications, all of that. And if there's anything left over, maybe you pay one or two people. So a million in the retail field is a one or two person shop. Be that as it may, it still covers most of the people that sell on eBay. So in hmm. truth, eBay at a million dollars small seller exception still has protected an awful lot of its sellers. But what, what you can't protect a seller from is the, that ceiling they run into that that one- or two-person company has a great line of products and it's been able to attract a lot of interest. Sales begin to grow and they add new products, and they pass the $1 million threshold. At that point, let's suppose that uh, PayPal drops out of the sky and gives them an app, an app that if you put in a street address and a product category, on a given date, it'll tell you what the tax rate is. And I'm going to concede that all of that is trivial. And I made my living building information systems. It's trivial to simply answer, punch into your cell phone, here's an address, here's a product, what's the tax rate? That's never been the problem. The problem is that little app now has to be wired in to my order fulfillment and accounting systems. And most of these people are doing some things in Excel. Many of them, as they grow, they build a custom order entry system. A lot of these are stores who not only have a physical store with cash registers, but also have a website that they sell on, and maybe even a catalog. So there are five or six places in the order entry stream that all would have to be custom programmed to call the little application program interface from PayPal. Now, that only gets me to the first sale. It turns out that almost all of the expenses associated with sales tax happen after the sale because expenses are associated with exceptions. Mm -hmm. In 2006, PricewaterhouseCoopers did a massive study of thousands of uh, retailers around the country and asked them what they were spending to collect sales tax for the one or two states they already collected for. That study said that right at the million-dollar-a-year mark in revenue, businesses were spending 17 cents of their own money for every dollar they collected for states. Wow. 17 cents of their own money for every dollar. And of that 17 cents, I think Rebecca knows the number, only two cents of that was software. That means the other 15 cents is personnel and accounting, answering audits, updating your systems for changes, updating it for inventory, and a lot of it is customer service because it turns out that a customer is in 
who's a nonprofit entity in California, may believe they don't have to pay sales tax on the purchase they're making from Virginia. So they Please get on the phone and, and ask me to change it. Or there's, a, there's an adjustment. I have a customer who's unhappy, so I'm in the back office, and I'm on with, uh, I'm on with Rebecca, and I say, I'm going to give you a 50% credit, and I hope you'll come back again next time. Well, that credit has to be entered into the system and touch the sales tax as well. But PayPal's not even part of that, because PayPal was only around on the front end. And it turns now, out that the back-end complexity is where all the expenses live. Now, what if they raise that limit? I mean, is there a point where you guys can support the bill if the limit is $5 million, $10 million, or whatever? You know, that's a, that's a balancing act. And, and Rebecca knows it, too, that uh, the more the states are forced to simplify, well, then I guess the lower the small business exemption could be. And that's a balance between there. And this show doesn't have a long enough time to talk about insane complexities <laughs> that the states would get away with. But just keep this in mind. I had a lot of catalog companies with me last week in Washington, D.C. They came down for mm-hmm. their annual fly-in. And these are 20, $30 million a year catalogs. They don't have just one or two items, Rebecca. They're more like these broad-range catalogs, one uh, for fishing equipment, another for uh, clothing and medical supplies for elderly Americans. We had catalogs for hobbyists, catalogs for gun owners, lots of different catalogs that are specialty, and they have thousands of products, products that are too small to get on the shelves at Walmart. Right. So these catalogs serve a lot of senior citizens today. It's over half of the remote commerce. And how does a catalog deal with all this? They have custom-built information systems and fulfillment systems. PayPal doesn't sort of drop in and solve their problems at all. Most of them think it'll be fifteen to $150,000 to integrate free software, even if the states gave them the software. To integrate it into their systems is six figures of expense. There's no way a small seller exception is going to protect a $20 million catalog with 200 employees in North Carolina that's been serving senior citizens for 75 years. A third of our customers pay by checks when they mail their catalogs back in. Do you realize this bill that Rebecca supports applies not just to the Internet, but to catalogs and phone order companies as well. All right. Well, back to, well, the, back I don't to wanna, the PMA puncher. Well, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news about – we could go on and on about catalogs and the demise of catalogs and the fact that a majority of purchases are now – catalogs are used to induce people to go online and make purchases because it's in the catalog company's best interest to not have a call center and not take phone calls but allow people to order online. And many catalogs like Patagonia, for example, they don't put prices in anymore. They just want you to go online. They're not, they don't have an order form on. So there, there are a lot of problems catalogers are facing, for sure. <laughs> no doubt about that. So, There's a lot um, of problems that Main Street, Main Street retail faces. Go to any small town there in California and look at how Main Street's changed in the last three years. There's fewer retailers than ever. And that started long before the Internet came along. It really was a function of big box stores moving in and really displacing the smaller mom-and-pop stores who carried convenience-type items. And it turns out that the Internet has been really the only way that Main Street can stay alive against big-box competitors. And as Main Street turns to the Internet, wouldn't it be ironic that just as they're discovering ways to reach customers around the country, they get clobbered with a new obligation to collect and remit and face audits for 46 states? Rebecca, you're quite happy about the bill that passed the Senate on Monday, but you may not have seen uh, the amendment that... uh, Senator Harry Reid stuffed in there at the last minute. 
he said that not only 46 states get to audit and demand tax payments, but he added 556 Indian reservations as well, giving each what? of them the power to tax every business in America. Now, did the Price Waterhouse study cover to what extent those entities were audited? It turns out that uh, Price Waterhouse just did a study on the 17 cent number was only for the states that people collected for, which is one or two states each, because under the current law that you quoted in the Quill, you only have to collect where you have a physical presence. Right. There are very well, few retail stores on Indian reservations. There are very few retail stores on an Indian reservation. But once these Indian reservations, 556 of them, have the new powers to force everyone in the country to collect their tax, it'll take only a week for most of them to add sales taxes to, the, to their books, and everyone has got to comply. This is what I mean by a nuclear bomb, to put out a brush fire. Rebecca, what we need to do is to continue putting out those brush fires, and I hate to do it one at a time, but you guys have made great progress showing that these bills don't even hold up in court. Rebecca and her legal team were able to overturn the Illinois law as being unconstitutional on the very Commerce Clause that we discussed earlier in the phone. So the, the states have tried, and too many of them have been able to get their law passed. But, uh, Rebecca, I do hope you'll continue to bring lawsuits, and we'd love to support you on that to make sure that uh, <laughs> this Amazon tax doesn't go anywhere. Well, we, we, love to bring, we love to bring lawsuits when we win. It's my same theory on gambling. I love to gamble as long as I can win. Um, the, the, the reality, though, is that I, I think this is inevitable. I think this is a, 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 something that there's tremendous support by, behind the consumer community and most retailers, certainly brick-and-mortar retailers, uh, see not only um, an upside to gaining a fairer competitive ground uh, when their online competitors also have to charge sales tax, and that in turn is um, expected to certainly exceed the, the upside is certainly expected to exceed what the costs are to implement this and and I know the states are some of the states are belly aching that it's a little bit of work for them to figure out how to take in all this money so I think I think they're motivated and incentivized um, um, I think consumers um, certainly um, have shown over and over again that they are they are not going they're, they're not going to require they're not going to stop shopping when they have to to collect sales tax. I was speaking that's great, to uh, that's a great point uh, that's a great point Rebecca because in California you just talked about fairness that brick and mortar stores have a an unfair problem versus the internet but I think you just made the opposite point when Amazon has had to turn on tax collection and they most recently did it in September in California. What happens? Amazon sales continue to grow. They had the best quarter in California in the company's history last year. And Main Street stores in California didn't get any new customers because people don't shop online to avoid sales tax, right? They shop online for convenience, choice, and value. So if Main Street stores are having a tough time competing with the Internet, it turns out it's not about sales tax. It's because big companies, Walmart, Target, and Amazon, have a much lower cost structure, and their prices are lower. And this problem, well, that's not going to go away. It must be very well, tough to be a Main Street store, but to blame sales tax and to blame the Internet for your problems is really misguided. Actually, in terms of the Main Street stores, a lot of what they're being affected by is actually property tax. California has a system that skews um, 
to you know, having um, ha- having localities want to have big box retailers just for tra- property tax revenues. It's just kind of an, an offshoot of Prop 13. But we only have a few minutes left, and so um, I want to give each of you um, kind of your your final tagline, and then if you can just say briefly, um, you know, wh- where can we find more information about you and learn more about your position on the bill? So we'll go to the McLean Mauler. Mr. Del Viento. <laughs> in this, in I just guessed you're from McLean. It may not be true. That's right. Like, no, you're yeah. right about that. And uh, we, we have no bush fires to put out, so I'm I'm really attentive to trying to make sure that we prevent fires and try to put them out in a way that devastates the economic landscape and the opportunity that the Internet has presented. Congress should not empower 46 state tax collectors across their borders and audit every business in the United States until and unless it can force states to radically simplify their tax systems. I've worked on that project for 10 years, the Streamlined Sales Tax Project, and the remnants of that project are smoldering in the corner because the bill that Congress, the bill that the Senate approved on May 6th, doesn't even require the Streamlined Sales Tax simplifications. It requires next to nothing on the part of the states. The good news is, is while it had no hearing in the Senate and no markup, the bill is going to get a hearing and markup in the U.S. House of Representatives. And the Judiciary Committee there is extremely skeptical as to whether the pains in this bill are worth the gains to state tax collectors. Rebecca, I want to help you uh, in every way possible to stop these ridiculous Amazon taxes, but this isn't the answer. And for more information on what we do, go to www.netchoice.org. All right, so float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. We go to Rebecca from Camarillo by the sea. Well, thank you. And I, wow, and I, look at that rhyme. Wow. <laughs> uh, I, I have to I have to counter, Stephen, that the complexities are way overblown on this, and, and that the reason that this becomes a very attractive, the Marketplace Fairness Act becomes a very attractive option for all states and businesses and, and shoppers alike is that um, the the technology is out there. There are plenty of solution providers that take care of all of the complexity and all of the remittance um, on behalf of small retailers. Um, it allows uh, states to pick and choose. Uh, Governor Haslam from Tennessee testified last year in front of the House Judiciary Committee, a, a well-known Republican, that this will potentially allow him to lower other taxes. Um, and of course, we have other states that are in a deficit, uh, a huge deficit. This allows them to reduce that. So this is something that I think shoppers are behind, states are behind, uh, small businesses um, can readily comply. It's not as, as much of a problem. And obviously, we believe it will allow the 76,000 businesses um, in, in our industry to get back to business. Um, and more information can be found at thepma.org. Well, thank you very much, both. It was a wonderful debate, and um, I hope you guys will come back again. But thank you particularly for being part of our special 100th episode. And so thanks again, and um, when we come back, we'll be talking about, um, we'll have um, Popat and um, an interesting um, dispute in, um, over an attorney abusing um, copyright law. Um, after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. I'm John Ball, and I'm one of the founders of Page One Power. Page One Power is a custom link building firm based in Boise, Idaho. 
We increase search rankings and web traffic for world-class brands and mom-and-pop shops all around the globe. Our link-building strategies work because we focus on relevancy and quality, and we don't outsource anything. Our in-house staff of professional writers and researchers is the best in the industry. We're the link builders you've been looking for. Visit us today at pageonepower.com. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate, display media, or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest in digital trends and offer tailored solutions so they can audit your progress and build a roadmap to your success. Learn more about their expanding range of full-service strategic marketing solutions at fangdigital.com. That's F-A-N-G digital.com. Conversion Conference makes its way back to Chicago, June 11th through the 13th. Register now at conversionconference.com. Conversion Conference Chicago 2013 will feature the best in conversion marketing to help you drive leads and revenue. Plus, WebmasterRadio.fm's Tim Ash will host a premium half-day of landing page optimization training. Learn how to create persuasive content, design landing pages that trigger your visitors to action, and convert blog readers into customers. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners can get $100 off early bird registration by going to ConversionConference.com and using promo code WMFM. Remember to listen to Tim Ash Mondays on WebmasterRadio.fm for landing page optimization. For the latest details on Conversion Conference, register right now for Conversion Conference Chicago 2013, June 11th through the 13th at ConversionConference.com. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. The Hook with Katie Kempner. On demand anytime inside the advertising channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. This is Ben Kelly. You're listening to the second segment for Cyber Law and Business Report, our 100th edition. And we have um, Kenneth White, who's a Los Angeles attorney, and he's also a publisher of um, the renowned blog Pope Hat which is one of the M-Law Blog 100 um, selections. And Pope Hat has been one of the, the lead um, sources for following this kind of evolving train wreck known as the Prenda Law Firm and their um, basically copyright trolling scheme. And um, Ken, um, Ken, are you with us? I am. Thank you for having me. Ken, um we had a very welcome back by the way we had a very unusual occurrence um, this month in federal court in Los Angeles where um, the, a judge not only spanked the um, lawyer um, for sanctions but he went even further than that and recommended that they get be criminally prosecuted and um, it's somewhat unheard of but why don't you tell us give us the insight into this twisted tale of course, and you're right. This was a stunning development, and it followed another stunning development, which is 
several lawyers associated with Prenda Law being asked to come to court to explain their litigation strategy and taking the fifth. You don't commonly see lawyers taking the fifth when asked to explain their litigation to a federal judge. To, to see what's going on here, you have to know a little bit about this type of litigation, uh, generally called BitTorrent litigation. You know, there, there are a lot of people out there uh, downloading things illegally, music, movies, whatever. And some content owners file suit in federal or state court against people only identified by their IP addresses. They use you know, the technology they have to figure out what IP address downloaded something from a BitTorrent, and then they sue a John Doe residing at that address and try to use the discovery process to find out who that person actually is. Now, some of the more controversial types of lawsuits like this involve pornography. Uh, the critics of this BitTorrent litigation say that it's basically a uh, extortion scheme because they send people letters saying, you know, we've detected your IP address, you know, uh, downloading this movie with a very embarrassing name. We're about to name you publicly in a lawsuit unless you pay the settlement amount. There are there are lawsuits out there by legitimate content providers that own the copyright or are being pirated, and there are some very legitimate lawyers filing these lawsuits. But there are also some very questionable practices and questionable lawsuits, and that's where Prenda Law comes in. What the claim is, uh, and what Judge Wright, a uh, United States District Judge, found. Uh, was that Prenda Law was basically all about the lawyers running the show. There was no genuine client. Uh, the depositions of one of the Prenda Law principals suggest that they bought worthless pornographic movies, movies that didn't really have any value that were being bought, uh, and then started suing anyone who downloaded them. So that the sole purpose of the enterprise was not to sell movies, was not to generate content, but simply uh, as a vehicle for suing people for illegal downloading. And this went on for a while, and some unknown number of people paid settlements when they were demanded, uh, until some lawyers started to sit up and take notice and started to push back. And so, let me stop you there. So I'm... I'm part of this kind of um, strange conspiracy, uh, let's just say. So I am downloading um, porn um, so then I could become a defendant? Well, sure. If you are illegally downloading copyrighted information off right. the Internet, whether it's music or movies or whatever, you might someday find yourself getting a letter from some lawyer saying, you know, we've detected your IP address uh, downloading our copyrighted content. We're going to sue you unless you pay us 1000 or 2000 or $3,000. Right. You might even find yourself sued in federal court, U.S. versus, you know, or, you know, company versus John Doe, and then they'll try to use the discovery process to subpoena your ISP and see, you know, who owns that IP address. Right, but how does you know, one of their own lawyers downloading the porn create um, the ability to subpoena third parties? Well, the allegation isn't their own lawyer was downloading the porn. The allegation is that usually, traditionally, in these BitTorrent cases, the plaintiffs have been companies that 
produce content, whether it's movies or music or whatever, and they're trying to protect the value of their property. Here, what it seems to be happening, based on one of Prenda Law's own attorneys, is that they bought um, basically worthless movies, movies that weren't being sold, movies that didn't have any value, and watched for people downloading them and then sued those people. Oh, I see. So in other words, the purpose of the business is not to create content. The purpose of the business is not to sell content. The purpose of the business appears to be, based on their own testimony, solely to sue people for downloading worthless content. And um, and so what happened last, I got the, earlier this month in, in federal court in Los Angeles was this all, the judge put all the pieces together. Well, the judge, largely influenced by one of the primary lawyers defending people in these cases, uh, a uh, attorney named Morgan Peets in the, the L.A. area, he had put in front of Judge Wright a lot of allegations about the Prenda enterprise, and Judge Wright eventually issued an order to Prenda and its lawyers um, and to the particular plaintiff they were using in that case, a company called AF Holdings, that he wanted them to answer questions. And some of the allegations that he wanted answers about were, you know, what kind of investigation do you do before you accuse someone? You know, because if you have, if you're suing someone based on the fact that their IP address downloaded something, you're assuming that, you know, the person who pays for that IP is the one who did the downloading. Uh, if the, if they have a Wi-Fi and if it's not secured, that may not be a case. Um, that's a typical dispute in these types of cases, and there are very strong views on both sides. Some of the more sinister things he wanted to look into were allegations that Prenda used a uh, stole the identity of the caretaker of one of Prenda's lawyers, a man named Alan Cooper. Um, Alan Cooper purportedly signed all sorts of assignments by which uh, the Prenda entities bought these worthless copyrighted movies. But when contacted, Alan Cooper said, that's not my signature, and I never did these things. And, you know, my, my identity has been stolen. So Judge White wanted to hear about that. He also wanted to hear about whether Prenda's attorneys had continued to seek information from ISPs about people's identity even after he ordered them to stop. And what happened was that once Judge Wright ordered all this information to be disclosed, uh, the wheels started coming off the wagon. Um, and eventually, many of the Prenda lawyers, uh, threatened with sanctions, showed up in his court and took the fifth, refused to answer questions on the ground that it might incriminate them which is a stunning thing to happen. Uh, I mean, it's a common thing to happen when you're dealing with criminal defendants or suspects. Right. It's a stunning thing to happen when you're talking about uh, you know, people in a law firm or people associated with a law firm being asked to explain a litigation campaign. Right. I mean, you don't expect your lawyers to be taking the fifth. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, if I'm conducting, uh, if I'm suing somebody, and the judge asks me to come in and explain three things I've done in the lawsuit, and I take the fifth, that's game over for the lawsuit. It's game over for my career, really. So oh, what followed that? Yes. And so, and actually, that is where this is going, then, because then the judge, he made a couple of referrals. And one was, I 
for the state bars to look consider this a crime of moral turpitude to warrant disbarment. But then he also apparently it appears that um, the the great sums of money they may have been making on this, and you know they were making premium settlements because people didn't want to be exposed. And, right. The judge made four referrals uh, that are important. He referred it to the state bars of the specified lawyers, to all the bars where they're admitted. He referred it to the federal bars. You know, when you're a lawyer, and if I'm admitted in California, you know, I have to be admitted separately to the bar of each federal district where I want to practice. So he referred it to all those federal bars. Um, he referred it to the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, for possible criminal prosecution. Um, I used to work at the U.S. Attorney's Office as a federal prosecutor, and I can say that if a federal judge refers a case for investigation, uh, they're going to take that very seriously, and it's going to go kind of the front of the line, even if it's the sort of thing that might not normally be prosecuted. Um, and finally, he referred it to the IRS as Criminal Investigation Division. So, and Sorry, go ahead. No, so, I mean, these guys... It, I mean, we do hear a lot. We've had people on the show before talk about the problem of copyright trolls. Um, these guys appear to be a, a unique, some genius that um, deals explicitly with the ability to extort um, through the imp- power of embarrassment over downloading gay porn. And so um, how likely is it that, that you may have this reoccur in with other trolls or is this really just such an outrageous uh, incident we're not going to see anything like this for a while well uh, for one thing it's still going on there are reports that one of the attorneys associated with prenda a guy named paul duffy is still sending out threatening letters uh and these letters are a little more explicit they're saying that we're going to have to talk to your neighbors and other people to determine who might have done this download on your IP, which is a rather clear extortionate threat. It's designed right. to shame people into paying them money. Um, the critics of BitTorrent litigation would say that this is a threat underlying all of it, but there certainly is professionally conducted litigation and non-professionally conducted litigation. Mm-hmm. This seems to be more, far more on the threatening side. And I think that what's happened to Prenda has cast a bad light on BitTorrent litigation in general and might really start to impair uh, the ability to go forward. There's an appeal right now uh, in a Prenda case back east uh, of a judge's order allowing discovery into the identity of John Doe's. Uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation has just filed an amicus brief in that appeal, and I think Prenda is an absolutely terrible, terrible plaintiff uh, to be used as an example for any lawyers who want to have a right to discover you know, people's identity in these types of cases. The law that comes out uh, of that case may wind up being quite bad for uh, even companies that are legitimately attempting to protect their copyrighted materials when they're illegally downloaded. Or even, you know, any dope case, you know, for example, in, you know, defamation cases. You know, if it may cause problems for any type of dope scenario if, if, it, if there's a bad precedent just, just because of this bonehead. Uh, I don't think it will really impact defamation cases. Uh, the law on defamation is fairly well settled. Um, it's usually not an issue 
about uh, whether and how you can pierce anonymity. The law on that is increasingly well settled. It's really going to influence these cases where people are saying that we should be able to discover the identities of these IP addresses based on our copyrighted material being downloaded there. That's a very controversial proposition, and there are good lawyers on both sides of it. Um, but I think for the lawyers who want to protect their copyrighted materials of their clients that are illegally downloaded, the trend of litigation in general is going to be very bad long term. Now, it's interesting. If you, you go to Wikipedia and look up this issue, um, there, the, the only outside references are on your blog. And a lot of other blogs or reports on this topic all reference your blog. So, I mean, how is it that you guys are the seminal source on this? How is it that you started following it? Well, I actually, you know, BitTorrent litigation isn't a topic I normally comment about. I'm not primarily an IP lawyer. Uh, I got interested in it uh, because the Prenda Law people did something that is very much in my wheelhouse. They sued some people for defamation. They... Uh, they, you know, I mentioned before there was an allegation that they had stolen the identity of this man, Alan Cooper, uh, mm-hmm. in order to use as a fake executive um, of one of the Prenda Law entities that was being used as a plaintiff. They, when he made that allegation, uh, sued him, uh, sued him in three different courts, and it seems rather clearly an attempt to um, suppress criticism. They also sued some of the blogs that have been commenting about them and a number of anonymous commenters. And they sued uh, not only for statements that could potentially be defamatory, false statements of fact, but they sued over a lot of things that are purely statements of opinion. So that type of abuse of defamation law is what I write about all the time. And that's how I started following Prenda. And then when Judge Wright started issuing uh, orders that were really quite remarkable in my experience, that's how I got rather hooked on uh, commenting on the whole thing and and trying to explain it from a federal litigator's perspective. And um, when you say quite unusual, I think you're referring to the fact that the order begins with a quote from Star Trek? <laughs> well, yes. Um, uh, the last order certainly is, uh, people have been trying to spot all the Star Trek references. Uh, my personal favorite is the uh, 11 decks up reference to uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office there in the federal courthouse. So, but uh, so, yeah, even before that, who are familiar, you know, uh, and haven't really read many court opinions, you know, it's unusual to actually have references to Star Trek. Usually, it's more Three's Company and Friends. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, believe it or not, some judges occasionally like to have fun in their orders, and yes, uh, you know, I've if you go that. out there and. There, there's a few in Texas who are known for writing extremely, uh, both legally persuasive and also amusing orders, and historically there have been some judges who do that. This one with quite so many pop culture references in a single order is fairly unusual, but not unheard of. The one that always sticks in my mind is there was a guy who sued the FCC because he claimed the, um, the government had put an invisible beam in his eye and was transmitting mm-hmm. radio waves to him. And the judge just went to town and said, you know, he failed to exhaust his remedies and that he could have solved the problem merely by dropping a, a paperclip from his pant leg and then he would have been grounded. 
Yes, I, I recall that one. That's in uh, one of the many collections of uh, of uh, great legal opinions. And, you know, every now and then someone tries to sue uh, God or Satan, and uh, the judge has a little fun with uh, dismissing for lack of personal jurisdiction. Uh, so the Star Trek... Um, it almost seemed like a shout-out to all the people who had been following the case very closely. But underneath the somewhat humorous aspect of referencing Star Trek, uh, you know, perhaps gratuitously in this opinion, the substance is blockbuster, uh, because Joe Wright made findings of fact uh, of really a very large and significant fraud campaign, and he did make those referrals. And again, it's incredibly unusual for a federal judge to refer the lawyers related to a case for criminal prosecution. Uh, you know, referrals to the bar often somewhat more happen, but usually not so apocalyptically as this one. Correct. Well, we only have like a minute left, so if people want to learn more about you or Popat, where should they go? Well, they can go to Popat, that's www.popat.com, and search for Prenda. Uh, and that's where I and my co-bloggers write about uh, a variety of topics, including uh, free speech and liberty and things that interest us. Well, congratulations. You guys have done a great job on this. You clearly have occupied the square. And um, But thanks again for having you all coming back. Um, this time we didn't get to talk about any fornicating um, coding bears, but um, maybe next, next time. time. So, <laughs> okay. Thank you for having me back. It was a pleasure Thank as always. You. Um, Take care. Uh, we we'll hope you'll join us next week on Cyberlaw Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly talking to you um, from sunny California here, and court is adjourned. See you next week. Be safe. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.